you know when you, you watch a good movie, when it's that battle between good and evil, and, you know, the evil, it's lurking, it's, it's planning, it's preparing, it's doing things. The good is, you know, taking a stand, uh, keeping that evil from being able to take over, destroy, ruin something. But then it, as, as the plot carries on, you know, it gets more intense, and it looks like the evil is going to finally just take over, right? It looks like the, the good is losing its strength, it's losing its power, they're, they're losing numbers, um, all the things, all the odds are beginning to stack against the good, and it looks like the evil is going to go ahead and win this battle, but then the good finds that strength, finds that ability, finds that help that it needs, and in the end, the good wins out. Woohoo! Yeah. And it's interesting how people that are in the world, sinful people, they, they use this storyline over and over and over again. Even though within that story, there's all kinds of other uh, sub themes, if you will, that are just no good and rotten and, and, and wicked. But yet, that, that underlying battle between good and evil is always in there, and the good always wins. Now, I know there's a few morbid ones out there where they... Those, those, yeah, those are rotten tomatoes. <laughs> but see, that's something that God, you know, put in our own conscience. It's, it's in us through intelligent design of an almighty God. And people, it's there. And we live in that. We, we, we experience that ourselves on a personal level. We struggle with that ourselves. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, he said that, you know, I want to do good, but evil is always present. And he talks about his struggle, especially as a man under the law, a man with no power, a man with no, no Christ in his life. He's, he's in this struggle, and he's trying to do right things, but he's fallen short. Because that evil is present there. So let's talk a little bit about this. Kind of get a little feel of what Jesus is saying about it here. What the word says in Matthew chapter 13 verses 24 through 30. Another parable he put forth to them. Saying the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept. His enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in the field? How then does it have these tares? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go out and gather them up? But he said, No. Lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them, 
but gather the wheat into my barn. Then jumping down to verse 36, then Jesus sent the multitude away, went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, I will cast them into the furnace of fire. And there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So he starts out by introducing this as a parable of the kingdom of heaven. But where is this kingdom of heaven that he's giving a pair about, where is it located? The field. The field is the world. So he's, he's you know, when you're looking at parables, the challenge that we, we struggle with is that the parable is designed to reveal a principle. But what we want to do is kind of dissect the actions and put it into our understanding, how we do things, how we think about things. And so sometimes you can get a parable and you can go in a whole direction that it really wasn't intended. So what you first have to do when you're looking at a parable is you have to look at what is the principle that he's trying to say in the in the parable? What is the, the, the message? What is the main thing he's trying to say? Because you focus on that and then other things can begin to um, unfold from there. But otherwise you can, you can come up with some very interesting ideas. And who, how many of us want interesting ideas? <laughs> well, we want truth. <laughs> we want the truth. Amen. Truth can be interesting ideas. Yes. <laughs> Amen. But how is the kingdom established? Well, the Son of Man, he sows the good seed. So he goes out and he sows the seed. Jesus' first message we find in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. He's in the synagogue. It was his custom to get up on the Sabbath day and read from the scroll. And it was handed to him the scroll of Isaiah. And he began to scroll through the scroll. And he stops at Isaiah chapter 61. Not sure if it had a chapter then or not. I think that came later. But he stopped there at Isaiah 61, and he started to read. And you find this in Luke 4.18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll... He gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. Now, what was interesting is when he read this 
passage, even though it was his custom to read passages all throughout his upbringing, but on this particular day, after he was baptized in water by John the Baptist, after the Holy Spirit came upon him in a fullness and a manifestation, he gets in there, he looks the same, but now when he reads from the scroll, the whole atmosphere is different. The whole feeling is way different. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. I mean, they were like, what did we just hear? What just happened here? And they're all staring at Jesus. And then he boldly tells them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. <laughs> Their brains just tilted. They're just like, whoa. We know what this scripture applies to. We know who it applies to. You're that? You're this? Didn't make sense. And he goes on a little bit further. And he says, wasn't there many widows in, 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 the, in, in Sidon? Wasn't there many widows? But only one, only one of them God sent Elijah to and sustained them, preserved them. Wasn't there many lepers in Syria? But there was only one who was healed, and that was Naaman. So what was he saying? He was saying, you know what, you guys are going to miss out. <laughs> <laughs> the way you're looking at me and your attitude, you're going to miss out on, the, on, on all of this right here. And, of course, they didn't like that real well, and they decided to go for a, a little stroll to the edge of the cliff. But uh, Jesus just kind of meandered through the midst of them. Praise God. But, see, that's the Son of Man. That's the good seed that he's sowing. That's what he's pouring out. His word is going out. What is it doing? It's setting captives free. It's opening up the eyes. It's, re it's causing those that are lame, those that are crippled, to become healed, to become restored. Not only was he doing it physically for people, but he was doing it in their souls. He was doing it spiritually. He was changing their life because the good man was sowing the good seed into the lives of the people. And a change was taking place. It says in 1 Peter 1.23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And then verse 25, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. So now not only, was, not only is the kingdom uh, going through the good man who was sowing the good seed, but now the, those that got the seed were called to go out, and they were given a seed bag, and now they were going out with seed, and they're spreading seed. And that's why it's just so important for us to be able to spread more of the gospel. You know, sometimes our challenge is we might judge the person, well, they're not really, they don't really look open, they don't really look receptive, but that's not our job. We just got to give them the gospel. We just got to share the word because we don't know where they're at. Their, their face might say they're happier than all get up, but inside they're miserable, they're searching. They might look mean and ornery and like, man, I don't want to say something to them. They're going to bite my head off. 
And you say something to them, and all of a sudden they might smile and go, man, I needed to hear that today. And you go, wow, you look like a biker, and now you're a... We see a lot of bikers out there, right? <laughs> the constant rumble of motorcycles all day long. <laughs> Well, they need Jesus too, amen? That's right. They need to ride with him. Hallelujah. So what is, what is he saying here? He's, he's painting a picture that in this age, there's, there's this good man, and, and he's sowing, the son of man, he's sowing good seed. And that's what we're in right now. There's good seed. The gospel is being preached. The message is getting out there. It's changing lives. It's setting people free. It's doing a work. It's building up and establishing and bringing forth the kingdom of heaven right here on this field called the earth. But there's a problem. Someone else is out there. Someone else has a bag of seeds. And they're sowing seeds. It's the evil one. And he's following right behind. Oh, Jesus planted a seed over there. I got to go plant a seed over here. Oh, Jesus planted a seed over here. I got to go plant a seed over here. He's following wrong. I, I remember hearing stories from people that God was reaching out to and they were getting witness to. And, but at the same time as they were getting witness to, all of a sudden they were getting a knock on their door from Jehovah Witnesses. And they were trying to get, you know trying to give them something and confuse so that a wrong seed could be planted. And it's a, it's a very common thing the enemy does. And it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So here we have, when, when here God made everything perfect, he made man, he made a creation a, a perfect place for man to dwell in. But now the enemy got in there through Adam's disobedience. And now the serpent is there. Now God's saying, you know what? I'm not going to stand by and let you take over this thing. You just, you just put up, you just declared a challenge with me. The fight is on, and I'm going to win. And yeah, you might get a good blow in there. You might bruise the heel. You might cause some blood. You might cause some injury, but I'm going to crush your head. I'm taking you out. You're going to get the death blow for me. That's what God was telling the serpent. And that's where we're at right now. We're in that middle place. The heels are getting hurt. But his head is getting crushed. <laughs> it doesn't feel when the heel gets hurt. I remember as a kid, you know, how many of you as kids used to walk through the streams barefoot? You know, I'm walking through that cold water. My feet go numb. Can't feel anything. Looked at my heel. It was split wide open. Didn't even know it because the water was so cold. Felt it later. But, you know, heel, getting bruised is not a fun thing. It's a struggle. It's a painful thing. We don't like pain. Sometimes we, we try to avoid pain. That's one of the things I have to ask God. God, why did you create us to, to feel so much pain? These nerve endings that we have throughout our entire body, they really flare up when something goes wrong, right? But it's, it's God's signal. It's, it's, it's his way of 
helping us to know when we need to take care of something. Because just like me in that cold water, if I never would have took my foot out of the cold water, who knows what kind of damage I would have done, right? But uh, without pain, sometimes we just can't, we don't put attention to something that needs attention. I think I just got my answer. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, right? But see, Paul said we wrestle not against flesh and blood, Ephesians 6.12, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We're in a constant battle. You know, that's the, the, the problem that we face in this constant battle is we don't necessarily always hear the artillery. You know, the, the soldiers, when they go into battle and they hear bombs and they hear the bullets flying, they're, they're in a different state of mind. They're in a high alert. They're being very uh, aware of their surroundings. They're, they're looking at things. They're, they're doing things differently and how they expose themselves, how they travel, how they maneuver, how they get around. But when everything's quiet, you hear the birds singing, the sun is shining, it's a beautiful day. Eh, they might walk out there without their helmet on. They may not have their rifle locked and loaded. They may be just strolling versus paying attention. And there's always that sniper out there. He's got his sights set. He's scanning the area. Ooh, there's somebody unsuspected. See, the Bible says in Revelations chapter 12, verse, was it 14? 12, right? 12, yep. Verse 12. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. So he knows. You know, when Jesus came and he began to operate and they could sense the glory of God coming out of him, what, many times they would yell out saying, why have you come to torment us before the time? See, it's in the back of their mind. They know that there's an end. They know that there's a, a destruction, an eternal punishment. They know their day is coming. And because of that, they're, they're trying to do as much as they can. They're bent on as much evil as possible. Their mind is always, the wheels are always turning evil. How can I do evil? How can I do evil? How can I, how can I put this person in bondage? How can I lie to him? How can I deceive him? How can I trick him? How can I hurt him? How can I do this? How can I do that? And they, but they have to look for open doors. They have to look for opportunities. The Bible says in, in Peter, 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, he walks about as a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour. You see those lions, you know, the, the, the uh, antelope and the zebras and all of them are just having a nice stroll by the Serengeti. Decides to go to the water and they're, they're just having a peaceful day. Meanwhile, in that tall grass, the, lion, the lionesses, they're just slowly inching up and they're scanning the herd. They're looking for that one animal that wanders off just a little bit away from the herd. That's a good prey. Or maybe there's one that has a little bit of a limp. Maybe they're yielding to something in their life. Uh, 
that's making them more uh, unattentive, making them more susceptible to weakness. So he's looking, he's scanning. Just as those animals scan, look for that weak one, look for that one that's separated from the flock. So the devil is looking, he's looking for weaknesses, he's looking for opportunities. He walks about seeking whom he may devour. You notice here that in this parable, when did the evil one plant the evil seeds? When the men slept. You know, when they, when they were just dozing off, not aware, not paying attention, not awake. What does the scripture say in Ephesians? It says in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, be awake. Awake, O sleeper. Let Christ shine on you. Why? Because you have to be alert. There's a lot going on. And so what the devil comes along, it's like a mother. You know, mother, when a, when a baby's crying, what do they do? They, they pick that baby up. They put that baby in their arm. They begin to rock them like this. And the baby starts to get relaxed. All of a sudden, it falls asleep, right? So the devil comes along, and he tries to create the false sense of this and tries to create little comforts there. And he's just trying to rock us into certain things. Just, okay, ooh, he's looking, you know, if you've been a parent, you know what I'm talking about, because what are you doing? You're watching the baby's eyelids. Like, if they're wide open, you, oh, man, this, i got to keep rocking here. You know, this is going to take a while. But all of a sudden, that eyelid starts to droop a little. Then the other one droops a little. You go, okay, we're getting there. Oh, boy, this is, you know, any minute now, that baby's going to be out. And you look down, and eyes are closed. <laughs> no, <laughs> they're open. Oh, man. <laughs> Somebody slams a door and, oh. But see, that's what the devil tries to do. He tries to lull us into these places where we start to just get too comfortable, too relaxed. Now we're not paying attention to certain things. We're not being aware of certain things. We're not being alert to certain things. And then he begins to put those seeds in there. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So God comes and to manifest and establish his life in our lives. He comes to bring that in there. But then uh, the devil comes along and he wants to steal that, and he tries to first steal it by disconnecting us from God's provision of life. He tries to disconnect. Then once he gets a disconnect, then he stops the supply of life flowing to the areas that it's working. So then whatever is there that's alive starts to shrivel up. But you know, if like you've seen your grass out there, it's like, is this thing dead? But sure enough, as soon as it rains for a period of time, it's going to green back up again. My wife's always saying, why are you watering the grass? Then you got to mow it more. It's not dead. It'll come back alive. And I'm like, well, I like it green. But it's even though it's not green right now, it, there's still life down in those roots. But see, the devil, he doesn't want to just get things shriveled up, get things not operating or not operative, but he wants to completely uproot things. He wants to take the 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 seed, the root, the whatever the life is there. He wants to take it completely out of an environment where God can influence it 
and have access to it. That's how he wants to destroy it. So he's working that all the time. And of course, the other thing that we have working against us is we have our human nature. Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Romans 8, 6, and 8, he talks about the carnal mind. He says the carnal mind is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those that are in the flesh cannot please God. So we got this, we got this carnal mind thing that tries to work against us. The carnal mind is a mind that is influenced by a thought pattern that's influenced by personal wants or feelings. I personally want this. This is what I want. You know, that's where I have to, you know, sometimes when I miss God or I, get, I do something I shouldn't do, I have to start tracing my steps. Where did I miss God? How did I miss God here? And it could be something just as simple as I made a decision that I wanted something without asking the Lord or checking with him or giving it to him first. You know, sometimes God wants us, he wants to bless us on things, but he wants to teach us to wait. Again, going back to children, you know how children are. They want something and they want it now. But you got to teach them to wait. You got, it, 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 you're not trying to say no to them, but you're trying to help them develop a certain uh, ability to be able to submit, to be able to discipline, to be able to say no to things, and to be able to wait. And so sometimes God wants to do that for us because it keeps our flesh in check. Yeah. If we get everything we want, when we want it, how we want it, we get pretty, pretty selfish. You know, we've got a lot of that seed over there in Hollywood. <laughs> it's a mess. They have everything they want, but they're still not happy. But God wants to, he, he wants to pace certain things, time certain things, work certain things. But our flesh doesn't want to, and our, sometimes our flesh has an impulse and it wants something now, but if we don't submit to God in this, then that underlying current causes us to slip into a carnal-mindedness. And we might go from a spiritual mind in the morning, and a carnal mind by the afternoon. <laughs> How many have ever been in that boat? <laughs> Lord, help us all, right? But learning how to get those things in check. See, that's where the, the key is. Because sometimes it can be things that would seem somewhat good. Not necessarily evil things. Not like, gee, I want to go out and get drunk right now. Well, that's not a desire of my heart. That's something that I don't want to do. But maybe there's a certain thing I want, maybe a certain place I want to go, or, and maybe it's not the time to do that. You know, where people struggle a lot in this area is with finances. You know, you can go out and buy anything you want. You know? You've got uh, Discover. You can discover how you want this. <laughs> You've got ability to charge it, but then you become mastered by the charge. 
<laughs> Run a roll, right? <laughs> you go to the express lane. Get your visa into debt. Get your visa into lifelong debt. <laughs> There we go. I think we covered it. <laughs> what about just trusting God for the money? What about saying, God, you know what? Uh, I really want this, but if I have to mortgage myself, put myself into a financial bind to get it, is it worth me having that? But if you want me to have that, then I just trust that you're going to provide the means for that. And then what's your plan to do that? But see, sometimes people don't do that, and they get very carnal-minded when it comes to finances. And then they find themselves in a place where they, they're so caught up in the cares of the world. I got to work overtime because I got this debt. I got this mortgage. I got this payment. I got this. I got that. Now I got to work two jobs. So it's a, it's a trap of the enemy but it comes through the carnal mind. But then there are some things that, that kind of are subtle and they disguise themselves and they subtly work in through the environment of our reasoning and our thinking. And I'll just paraphrase it. I know it's probably on the, on the, chap, on the board there, but in Matthew chapter 16, you know, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, who do people say I am? And they said, some say you're Elijah, some say you're this or that. And then he looks at them and he goes, but who do you say I am? And Peter, you know, he, he walks up to Jesus and says, you're the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Ding, 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 ding. Lights are going off. Buzzers are going off. Jesus said, Simon Barjona. I don't think he ever called him Barjona before. <laughs> flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you but my father which is in heaven and he goes on to tell him and you know what I'm going to build my church the gates of hell is not going to prevail against it whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven Peter's shoulders are getting tall he's getting feeling pretty big on the inside he's like man I, have, I am right there I am right there and now Jesus wants to share more truth with them wants to reveal a little bit more. So he begins to tell him how he needs to suffer according to the scriptures, how he has to go through this process. And Peter, with his big shoulders and his carnal mind, who was just a spiritual mind a few minutes ago, now is in a carnal mind state. And he says, he rebukes Jesus. He actually rebukes him. I mean, you are the Christ, and now I'm going to rebuke you. Does that make any sense? <laughs> Jesus didn't want, he didn't like that truth. Because, see, the carnal mind in Peter is that you're the greatest, and I'm right next to you. And I'll be, I'll be enjoying the greatness with you. It'll be Jesus, Peter, and sons, you know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he was excited about his promotion. He was excited about his position. He was excited about how this was all going to play out. There wasn't any cross, any death in the picture. This was take over the Roman. Establish the kingdom. We're going to get it on right now. And that was, timing was off. 
process was off. Everything was off. But he couldn't see that because his carnal mind, he was, he, Peter was Simon the Zelot. I mean, he was a, he was a zealous uh, Judaism, uh, Judaism, you know, promoter of the Jewish, uh, the, the nation of Israel, the kingdom of God. You know, he wanted this to happen and he wanted to happen now. It's amazing how God would take him and put him next to Matthew, the tax collector, and say, you guys work this out as you follow me. Matthew, a Roman sympathizer who was in cahoots with the Roman government to overtax their brethren. They were the scum of the scum, and here God brings both of them together. I'll, I'll get rid of that carnal mind in you. I got an idea. How many of you ever felt like God did that to you? Put you in somebody that just totally rubbed you the wrong way. Like, man, everything is just abrasive. I mean, I like to hang around silk and cotton, not sandpaper. <laughs> oh, carnal mind, got to sand off that rough edge. <laughs> you know, that's part of the process. Struggle between good and evil. So, what, but what did Jesus say to Peter? He, he said, Peter, you are an offense to me. You're an adversary. Get thee behind me. See, that carnal mind is an enmity. It's an adversary. It goes against God because it doesn't want to submit to God. It wants to control and do its own thing how it wants to do it, when it wants to do it. It's no different than a three-year-old who wants ice cream before dinner. And it's got to be put in its place because it's always going to be doing that. So not only do you have the devil over here who's lurking around, seeking whom he may devour, but then you've got your flesh that's always looking to stay alive. Staying alive, staying alive. <laughs> God says, I need you to fast. You know, that's the thing about fasting. It's like, honestly, when you fast, I, you don't really feel like spiritual. I mean, you're like, you're... You're tired, you're, you know, you're just like food thoughts are flying around. There's certain smells that hit you that you're like, oh, man, drive past one of those, those taco trucks are everywhere, you know. <laughs> so, but, but what are you doing? You're, you're, you're putting that flesh into place. You're putting into a place where it's submitting itself to God. You're, you're learning how to restrain that and put it where it needs to be. And people that don't do that, whether it's in anything, they're allowing that evil one to sow evil seeds. And so those seeds begin to get planted. And so what we have to do is, Jesus went on to tell Peter there, um, if you desire to come after me, here's the deal. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross. And you got to follow me. Because if you're going to try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you're going to find it. So it's good to, that's why Paul said, I will glory in my weaknesses. I will glory in these things. Because I'm learning that in the midst of that, all that evil that's trying to work and trying to operate and trying to control me, it's an opportunity for me to take all that, which has already been condemned, which has already been judged, which has already been executed by the blood of Jesus. It's giving me the opportunity to take that and let go of it 
and declare where it belongs, put it where it belongs, so it doesn't have any control over me. And then I can experience more of him. I can experience more of his presence. That, that space that was being filled up by those things is now empty, and now he comes, and he occupies it. Now I really experience what life is all about. And he talks about that in Romans, and he talks about being led of the Spirit, how if we're led of the Spirit. See, a lot of times the problem with, with, with where we're missing it, where we're getting in the flesh, is we're not letting the Spirit have his way. We're not letting the Spirit lead us and guide us. And it really comes down to the thoughts that we're allowing in our mind and what we're putting our minds on, what we're thinking on, what we're meditating on, what we're looking to. The more that we put our minds on the things of God, you know, you can't, you, I mean, you'd love to be able to just stop the whole world and say, okay, job, I'm not going to you. Uh, family, if you have needs, sorry, I'm not available. Uh, you know, I'm not going to help. I'm not going to cut the grass anymore. I'm not going to take care of the house. I'm not going to do anything anymore. I'm just going to sit at home and pray and be spiritual. But that's not the world we live in. We've got to do things. Got to babysit grandkids. They're a lot of fun, though. But boy, they wear you out. <laughs> you sleep good that night. <laughs> but there's things you got to deal with. But within that, you can walk in the Spirit because your mind, you can meditate on the Word of God. Get up in the morning, get a scripture, get something rolling, and then carry it with you all day. Have conversation with God all day. What does this verse mean? How does this play out? How does this apply to my life? How does this work in me? See, what is that doing? That's, the, that's walking in the Spirit. The Spirit, you're minding the things of the Spirit. You're, you're taking that carnal mind. What happens then is when a carnal thought comes, now you've got something to, to buffer that. You've got some light to shine on that, and, you, and then you don't yield to that. All of a sudden, that appetite for, for this thing or that thing or to watch this show or this thing or whatever it is, it diminishes. See, God doesn't want us to live in this place where we're like, like you know, you're being pulled by two forces so much that you're ready to split apart in two. That's a, that's a, that's a rough place to be, right? Because you've got this going on. God wants us to be in a place where we're led of the Spirit, where even those things of the world just really don't matter. They really don't matter. They're not enticing to us. They don't, they don't have that appeal to us because we're in the Spirit. I mean, you know, Jesus, he just walked right through this evil world. He saw it. But nothing pulled on him because he was in the Spirit. He was tempted, yes. The devil tried to throw things at him, yes. But this world did not tempt him because he was so full of the Spirit. It didn't have an appeal to him. Temptation would come, you go, I don't need that. I don't need that. Because he was so full of the Spirit. His mind was so full of the Word of God. And, and the Spirit of God was talking to him. You know, you find that when you meditate on scriptures throughout the day, you find that God talks to you more. All of a sudden, you hear his voice. And it's like, oh, yeah, thank you, Lord. That's cool. That's awesome. Here you are doing laundry. Folding the husband's underwear, and God's talking to you. <laughs> you can be spiritually minded at that moment. <laughs> and the men said. <laughs> but to, um, 
to kind of illustrate this a little bit, I'm going to need some help here. Um, Austin, if you want to take that table and set that up up here. Uh, Mike, can you give me a hand here? We're just going to move this. Good. Okay. So here we have this table. Now let's just say this table is the field. Do you remember that parable? There was a field, and in that field, the Son of Man, he sowed some good seed. So, we're gonna, Austin, you're the Son of Man, and here's your basket of seed. Just wait, just wait. All right. Now. <clears throat> I'm going to be the evil one. Ooh. All right. So the Son of Man comes to the field, and he's going to plant some seeds. Now, put, there we, there we, let's go like that. Okay. Now, now put another one right here. Tomatoes. Tomatoes. That's good, right? Put one right there. Let's see. Here. Yeah, right there. And then another one right here. Pears. Pears. Okay. All right, here, let me move that just a little center there, okay. Uh, let's see. All right, we gotta do, uh, gotta do another one here. How about another one? Gotta get your beans. Gotta get the beans, okay. All right, all right. Actually, you know what? So here he's got his going. Now, the evil one comes along, and he's gonna plant some seeds too. Let's see here. Hey, that kind of looks good, hey? Looks like something edible. I'll, I'll, he'll plant his tomatoes right next to hey. Jesus' tomatoes. Like tomatoes. Well, you know, all right. So now you uh, put your planting right there, right, on, right over these two right here. This, yeah, yeah, right on top. We're going to build a pyramid. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay, well, then the enemy says, oh, okay, I got, wait, 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 I, I, the enemy comes in, and he uh, puts his peaches right there. <laughs> I see where this is going. All right, now you go ahead and uh, put yours. Match this. Well, well, wait, 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 you're getting ahead, you got to go over here, we've got we to gotta fill the gap. <laughs> so what, do you, what did you plant? Oh, oh, okay, I can do that. There you go. All right. All right. My father's got more seeds, though. Yes, yes. How about your father? Hey, wait. We gotta go like this. Here, I, I did it just a little. There we go. We gotta make a. We gotta make it just right. There we go. See now. Here we have. The earth, the field, but right in the middle of the field, we have the kingdom of God, and in the kingdom of God. We have some good seeds that were planted, and then we have these seeds that look kind of good, right? But as you begin to look a little closely at them, you start to notice something a little different about these. There's something just a little different about them. They're, they're poisoned, yes. Here, you hold those two, right? Good. Okay that one 
Oh, we can make a Django game out of this thing, <laughs> yeah, right? Eh? <laughs> all right. So they look pretty good at first. They look real similar, right? But now all of a sudden you take a closer look and you go, you know, there's something different between the good ones and the bad ones, right? So the men said, hey, you know, this isn't right. we got to get rid of some. But there's a problem. If I take this one out, it's going to affect the other ones, right? So we can't necessarily do that at that time. Because even though they're, they're not right, even though they're, they're bad seed, they're, they're intertwined. They're, other seeds that are good are kind of leaning on those that are bad. They're kind of involved with them. And you start pulling certain ones out of there too quickly, too fast, all of a sudden you cause some confusion. And you might hurt. You might hurt the good ones. Because they won't understand. They don't know. Plus, the other thing is, God's still trying to deal with the bad seed. You know, he, he's still trying to work with them. In the church of Thyatira, you know, he, he talked to them and he told them, man, you guys are doing great. Your, your, your love is fantastic. Your patience is fantastic. Your work is fantastic. And as a matter of fact, your works now are greater than what they were before. How many of you want God to say that about you? But he says, I have one thing against you. You have this woman prophetess in your midst. She's a Jezebel. She's teaching people fornication. Now, she wasn't coming out there just saying, hey, let's fornicate. She was subtle. She was manipulative. She was trying to work an, a thought, a, a reasoning that was getting people to, to yield to that, to accept it, to allow it. So to try to take something and maybe say it's not so bad and maybe it's, it's kind of good and maybe it's okay to do and maybe this is how we need to reach out more to the world around us if we can kind of uh, be around them a little bit more, doing a few more things that they're doing and, and acting like them. Maybe that's her, her approach. Well, in the process of doing that, God said to her, I am giving her space to repent. But she's not choosing it. So he says, I'm going to throw her in a sickbed. And I'm going to throw her in the great tribulation. That's what he said. And then he went on to say, and I'm going to also go after and judge her children. So see, she was given a bad seed, but now she's carrying a bag of bad seed, and she's planting bad seed in the kingdom of God. And this is all going in the church at Thyatira. You've got the good seed, you've got the bad seed, and it's all right there, intermingled, working together. Now, when we read that parable, what's interesting about the parable is that he says, I will gather the wicked and bundle them up, and they will go and be burned. So in our mind, we picture an action of gathering it up, bundling it up, and taking it away. But if I was to go in here and take the wicked one away, well, I'm not necessarily taking it out of the kingdom. I have to, there's a separation. I have to take the wicked out of the kingdom. The wicked and the kingdom, the wicked and the good cannot dwell together. There has to be a point where I separate those two, where one is removed from the other. 
So, in our thinking, the action we, we look at taking the evil away. But let's just say the good, the good gets removed. Put that, in, put that back in your bag. Put that back in your bag. And all we have now are the evil ones. So now if the action of removing would be to take the good away and the good is now removed, but the good is in the kingdom. The good is in the kingdom. The, the evil stays here. It's not in the kingdom anymore. But how is it bundled? How is it burned? Well, will you see that over there? The Son of Man has a plan for that. And what the Son of Man is going to do is he's going to do something to this earth <laughs> that has never been done before. <laughs> Gallinger. <laughs> so what the Son of Man is going to do during the tribulation period is there's going to be some judgments that are going to be poured out, and the purpose of the judgments that are going to be poured out is, A, he's reclaiming the earth back, he is judging the Antichrist. He is judging Satan's kingdom. But he's also going to give those tares, bad seeds, a chance to know, a chance to repent. Because while they were in the kingdom, everything was good. They were somewhat protected. Everything was fine. But now that that is removed the kingdom of God is no longer with them. They are outside of the kingdom. Now they're bundled in this tribulation period, this seven-year tribulation period, and now they have to go through the judgments of God. So go ahead and uh, let's open up a few seals and, you know, a few earthquakes, a few, uh, you know. <laughs> oh, Okay. You got, you got the uh, Great Northern Bean's attention. <laughs> He's repenting. He's saying, he says, clean me, forgive me, Lord, I, I repent. Now he gets himself cleaned up, but it's not over yet. Now these ones get closer together. Oh, all right, now this one, the pair said, you know what? I realize I've, I've really done wrong. I messed up, man. I, I need to repent. And so what happens during this process of the tribulation period is people are going to get saved. People are going to repent. They're going to be martyred because they're taking a stand for Jesus. They might get their, uh, their lids chopped off. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but it's God's way of separating. And what he does is those that don't repent, they keep getting bundled up closer together. One more? Okay. Oof. Oh, there you go. Peaches said, okay, I repent. I repent. And so at the end, it gets, God weeds out and weeds out. And at the end, what, what, what you're going to see in the book of Revelation is you're just going to see the most evil, obstinate, hateful people there ever could be 
in the planet all grouped together, and they're going to be so angry, so hateful, so mean that they're going to come together in one big army. They're going to march to Jerusalem, not, not to take Jerusalem's uh, resources, but they're going there to kill them, to come against God because they hate God so much. And that's the Battle of Armageddon. In that battle, well, let's just say they get taken out pretty quickly. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you. So what my word to us now is, you know, in this time of good and evil struggle, you know, God is, he's letting them grow together. And there's many Antichrists out right now. The spirit of the Antichrist is out right now. All of the characteristics of the Antichrist are being manifested in our culture. This woke culture, wokeism, is all a part of the Antichrist. He comes to change times and festivals. He's obstinate. He, he, he's lawless. He knows what the law is. He knows what is right, but he, 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 he subverts it. He twists it. He, he disobeys it, knowing that it's a law, knowing it's a truth, but he just somehow twists it so he can disobey it he's proudful he's full of proud he speaks boisterous things he makes promises he makes covenants he makes agreements but he's a liar you can't be a liar if you don't know what's true but he knows what's true but he lies about it and we're seeing that in our culture just ramping up more and more and more and more and people are falling for that and it's going to work itself more and more and more in our churches, in our communities. And so we have to take a stand as people. We have to first settle issues within ourselves, make sure ourselves have truth established in us, have things resolved within us that are righteous. And then whenever we're around our family, our children, our grandchildren, you know, we've got we to be the line. We can't be asleep because if we're asleep, the, the evil one's going to come in and sow. He's going to sow the evil seeds. So when we're around them, we have to be alert. Paul said to the church in Ephesus, be awake. Redeem the time. Walk wisely. Walk circumspectly. Be full of the Spirit. Stay full of the Spirit. Don't get drunk with wine. Don't get caught up in the things of the world. Don't get lured into this fad or that fad or this hobby or that activity or whatever. Don't let those things consume you because if you do, you're going to fall asleep and the enemy is going to come in. He's going to throw some wicked seeds and get footholds in. But we can take a stand and keep our ground. And we can keep, now we've got the seed bag from the Son of Man. And we can plant the good seeds. Amen? Praise God. Father, we thank you for this, for this opportunity, this time that we have, Lord, that there's still time to plant. There's still time to sow the good seed, the gospel, the good news that you give to us. And, Lord, we just lift up our families to you right now. We lift up our children. We lift up our grandchildren. Father, we pray for them right now. We pray, Father, for laborers of the gospel to come into their life. We pray for more open doors to share the gospel with them. And, Lord, just to be able to, to be the light and those around us, Lord, to be the light, to share things, to, to expose what is darkness by revealing what is truth. Lord, continue to use us to do that. And continue to reveal your light upon us, Lord. Shine your light upon us, Lord. Help us to walk more in the light. Help us to avoid those places of darkness that try to pull us in, lull us asleep. But Lord, help us to keep the lights on and stay bright.
Father, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, God bless you. Have a wonderful week in the Lord.